Welcome to Escrow Out Loud, the SF real estate podcast from Jackson Fuller Real Estate, experts on San Francisco real estate since 2002. Podcast notes with links available at jacksonfuller.com slash podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining me for Escrow Out Loud. Today's guest is a feng shui certified trainer and a real estate stager, and I've got a challenge for him today. Steve Kodad of thefengshuicure.com is a former math teacher, a successful basketball coach, a past real estate brokerage owner, and now he trains realtors and others on the use of feng shui. He is based out of Florida when he is not traveling. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you very much, Matt. Glad to be here. We are so excited to have you here because I've got a size problem. And I'm hoping you can help me with this. But before we get into my size problem here, I just have a few general questions because I've heard a lot of things about feng shui over the years, and I figure now is the chance to clear some things up. So what is the most common misconception that you hear or encounter about feng shui? Well, hilariously wise, some people actually think it's a religion, which feng shui certainly is not. It is a more of a philosophy. When I talk to my classes, I always bring it up as an environmental science, earth science, that just happens to be about 4,000 years old. And anything that sits around that long and people keep using and keep talking very positively about has got to work. So I think of it as a very old environmental science. That is actually a great way to think about it. And I love that people think it's a religion. <laughs> They're close. The religion is staging, right? It's not actually feng shui, if you ask a realtor. My next question is, what would you actually say it is? And you would call it a very, very ancient 4,000-year-old environmental science. That's right. You know, when I talk to clients, I have no idea what their background is. When I first got certified in feng shui, I got certified while I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is sort of a difficult place to possibly start with a feng shui practice. Carolina's, um, you know, a little more conservative. And uh, so I spent my first few years there talking to anybody that would listen to me about feng shui and what it could do for selling their listings and making their environment really uh, positive and feel spacious and comfortable. So I started there and then I moved down to Florida almost 11 years ago. When you were pitching this to sellers in North and South Carolina, how many of them would let you go ahead and proceed that way? Or how many of them were like, no, that's crazy talk. You can't do that with my house. It actually opened a lot of doors for me because I was very unique, you might say. I had been a realtor, broker owner for a while, a long time. And I had found this uh, particular idea and got really into it. And so I built actually my business around it to say that, you know, we could actually come in and inexpensively actually sell your house within a few weeks. And so I was unique and I decided to play with that. And it really helped me quite a bit to be known that way, you might say. I basically brought it up in my advertising and they wouldn't invite me unless they wanted to hear my talk, my spiel. And yet, I think that you really did a great job of uh, putting it out right there that, you know, you weren't selling feng shui as a benefit. 
it was a feature and a service you offered. And the benefit was it was going to sell their house for more money and cost them less to get it ready. That's right. That's right. What seller says no to that, right? Well, and there's probably a few nowadays because, as you know, listings are going off pretty quickly. But certainly in most cases, that's not the situation. So a lot of people don't want an awful lot of stress. They don't want to make their beds for a long, long time. They don't want people marching through their home for weeks and weeks. So it was pretty easy to sell that situation. And I even offered a guarantee that if we didn't get it done in a certain amount of weeks, then I would be glad to let you find somebody else. But I had a lot of success with it. A lot of my owners really loved it. A lot of the women really enjoyed it greatly. And so when they moved to other places like Cincinnati or Cleveland or Nebraska, wherever they moved, they actually took the idea with them. I've been doing this now for almost 17 years. And uh, again, a lot of them really, really got into it and just loved the way it made their place feel. That's awesome. So you've been doing it for 17 years, which I would say obviously means you love it and really enjoy it a lot, but also you think it works or you know it works because you've seen it work. Is there any particular reason you think it works or any kind of magic behind the magic or just common sense? Well, to me, a lot of it is common sense, Matt. And my background was as a mathematics teacher, and I have several degrees, and they're all in very rational pursuits. So for something to work, I have to back it up. And one of the things that my school does is that we back it up with research, talk about different studies. So we talk about how important it is for the amount of natural light that comes into a place, for example. It's very, very important for a human being to feel in a particular way. So feng shui is based on a lot of these things that are just common sense. So it's, to me, not that hard to sell. Yeah, that makes sense when you say it like that. So if you can approach it like that, is it a do-it-yourself activity or what are the benefits to working with a professional? There's a lot of people that read books and uh, think that they have a handle on it. Possibly in some cases, they are able to pick up on some of the techniques and use them to their benefit. I would think if you really want to get the full 100%, you really probably want to have somebody walk you through things the first time. One of the things that I do when I do an evaluation is that I sit down with them for 15, 20 minutes in their living room and we talk. And I want them to ask me as many questions as possible. And then I explain to them what I'm about to do. And it takes several hours to do an evaluation of any property. The larger it is, it takes longer time. But uh, certainly some people could get some real benefit from books and tapes and stuff like that. But I think the first time you're going through it, it's probably to your benefit to have an expert with you. Yeah, I would say you make a great point there that you've been, quote unquote, practicing on other people's houses for 17 years. So you actually have experienced what works and what doesn't work. And I think the other benefit you always get from working with a professional is some objectivity, especially around homes. Sellers, bless them, sometimes don't necessarily have the most objective view of how the market is going to view their house. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so how would I go about making sure that uh, if I want to engage someone and I can't get on your calendar, but uh, I'll take the next best feng shui person out there, how do I make sure I'm getting someone who's good? 
Are there certifications or I know you run a training school. If I'm out there and I'm interested, how do I do my research and make sure I'm going to connect with someone who's uh, good to work with? Great question. And uh, there are a lot of people out there that have not very large credentials and uh, they are even selling their training for like $150 or whatever. To me, the best thing to do would probably be to go to our governing board, which is the International Feng Shui Guild, and take a look up on there. They have a lot of people listed from state to state, city to city, and these people have gone through a lot of training. So that is probably the best place to go. My partner, she's actually a part of the governing board at this point. So like I said, that's a great place to probably start the International Feng Shui Guild. I love the name. I love that it's a guild. You never hear that anymore. (laughs) So very cool. And would the website for it be something like (laughs) internationalfengshuiguild.org? You know, I think it is. I'll put it in the show notes, so no worries. (laughs) It's saved as one of my favorites. I couldn't tell you if it's org or, or what. I guess it is, probably. So no worries. We'll make sure that it's in the show notes for our listeners. So I mentioned at the top of the show that I've got a size problem. And let me lay it out here for you, Steve. I've been living in San Francisco for over 20 years now, selling real estate in the city for about that long. And condos, they just don't build them as big as they used to. In fact, depending if it's a one, two, three bedroom or a studio, they're between like 20 and 35, 40% smaller than stuff that was built 20 years ago. So do you have some tips, some tricks, some uh, feng shui skills to make my small size look really livable and great to be in? Yes, I do. I think one of the more important things is a person needs to be content with what they've got. So the perception of what they have that they're living in or the car that they drive in, you know, let's face it, that's a very, very important aspect of things. Feng Shui is a lot about psychology. One of the reasons why I was drawn to it big time. So there's a lot of things that you could do, but uh, I'll start with the usual one that most people expect me to, and that's clutter. We have a lot of clutter problems in our country, and we have a lot of people that store things away and never get to them. Again, I like to quote stats, and uh, here's one for you that, uh, and I know I'm guilty of this too, and maybe you are too, Matt, that of the amount of clothing we have in our closet, we use about 20% of it, and 80% of it just hangs there. And uh, I'm sure you have your favorite stuff, and I do too. And for example, in our garages, another stat. 25% of the people that have garages, they never park their cars in the garages because they got all this stuff that they've collected over all these years. So you definitely need to pare down. And the psychological part of it would be very important to them to understand that it's actually a very freeing feeling that you don't have all this stuff that you're carting around from space to space. So that would be the number one thing. But clutter has an other really negative aspects to it. It takes your focus a bit away from what's good, what's right. It can be visual stimuli too. And if you've ever walked into a place where there was tremendous amount of artwork all over the walls, you don't know what to focus on. So you want to take away a lot of this stuff that's on the walls. You want to make it as simple as possible. You want to get it organized really well. 
this is a great time for you to do that. That's probably the first thing. But, you know, clutter also causes injury. People can trip, can fall. Feng Shui is a lot about making sure that people are safe and comfortable. So that's number one. The natural light aspect is very pivotal, too. It needs to be played up. Natural light is the number one thing in feng shui about a light and environment. And a lot of people nowadays, especially, seem to want to close their blinds or draw their curtains. And it hurts them psychologically. So you want to play up the natural light. You want to use the natural light throughout your space by using mirrors, maybe even reflective paint to get that cheery feeling throughout the environment. So we've got to take advantage of natural light big time. So the way you light your apartment or your condo or your smaller house is very, very important. You have to have secondary lighting, but you got to play up natural light. And so when you're going to buy a place, you want to make sure that it has a fair amount of natural light and that you can actually play with it and manipulate it. So that's real important to me. Now, Nature is also another stat that I throw out a lot to people all the time. We're always talking about making sure that people feel really positive and not depressed. And it's very easy to get depressed in a smaller environment, I would think. And uh, you're looking at the same walls over and over and over. So you need to bring nature in. And I know that's a possible problem if your space is real small. But bringing in a plant or two that you take care of and have empathy for can be helpful. It's also a living entity. But even there, you can increase it a great deal just by bringing in the image of nature. So I have a lot of folks that even in their businesses, I want to bring in natural posters of the outside so that they see this kind of thing. There's a lot of countries that really know how important this really is. For example, in Germany, some of the companies there have the following rule, Matt, that even if you have an office in the interior and you have no access to an outside windows, that you have the right every hour to get up and walk by a window. They really understand the connection that we have to nature. And when that is taken away from you, again, it creates a worse perception and therefore it makes you feel worse. So the mental aspect is real important, as you can probably understand here. The perception of contentment and feeling positive and confident is very, very important. Makes total, total sense. One of the first things I always get hit with or people say, and again, misconception, is everything must face a certain way. But the first top three things you've talked about have nothing to do with rearranging anything to face a certain direction. My question for you about the first one, clutter. One person's clutter is another's joy. So do you have a a rule of thumb about how to determine if it's clutter or a number of things you'll let stay out on a surface or it just varies? It really varies. But when I'm helping somebody to sell a house, for example, and you go to the kitchen, the counter space is very important that it's shown. And there's a lot of reasons why. One of them, certainly you want to show it off. But secondly, you want to have the energy be able to move freely and not stagnate. So there are three different types of energy coming into a place that one of them is very positive and two, we try to stay away from. One of them is stagnant. We don't want energy to stagnate in a corner 
or in a closet or whatever. But the other one is that it's rushing. The energy is too fast. So we want to try to take care of both those situations. So the energy is really pivotal that we get it under control really well. So my experience of going into a really cluttered place is that I would say it rushes the energy. Is my reaction to that correct? Or is clutter actually considered like stagnation? Well, clutter is primarily stagnation. So when I'm talking about really forceful, Matt, it's when you have a lot of straight hallways or straight pathways. The energy picks up a little faster then, and we don't slow down and sort of relax and and take things in. The idea that there's no way to meander, right? That's a very important word. Yes, yes. We're trying to get it to meander. We're trying to get it to move back and forth slowly like a stream in the woods. And when we do it that way, it's so much more comfortable for people. So uh, very, very pivotal. One of the first things that I try to do with people is to try to get the energy that's coming in the front entrance slowed down. I have questions about that one. But first, we talked about clutter. The second one you talked about was natural light and making the most of it. What do you do in situations where you've got perhaps a bedroom that looks into a light well and it just doesn't have a lot of natural light? Again, if possible, I try to use mirrors to direct it from wherever the source is. So it might take several mirrors to get some natural light into that environment. That's the first thing. But the second thing is if I can't do it that way, there are certainly light sources out there that actually are very comparable right now to natural light. We didn't used to have that. And I'm sure you remember the old fluorescent and all that kind of stuff. They've been improved so greatly that we now have an awful lot of lighting that gets closer and closer to natural light. So it makes a person feel more positive. So that's one other possibility. But again, back to the idea of showing nature by a poster or a painting, that also will help alleviate the concerns a little bit more too. But I try to use mirrors in a lot of ways. I use them at the front door a lot. I try to reflect into different rooms that are too dark or that are too closed off. So certainly you're going to have bedrooms that are going to be in that situation. So you want to try to be as creative as possible. And those are some of the ways that I would do it. So uh, true story. Speaking of photos of nature, I once had a client who bought a listing because the first picture they saw when they walked in was this beach picture. I kid you not, there's more to the story. And clearly, I don't think that's the way you mean photos of nature and such to work. But I've had great experience with them. Let's just say that for certain. Artwork is real important, Matt. It's really an important thing in feng shui. For bringing in the five elements, for example, to get a better balance in a room when it's lacking. And people can feel when it's out of balance. So taking care of that, using paintings and using posters really can help. Do you think that's why vacant homes feel so strange? Yes, uh, I've had a lot of dealings with them myself. I've even put together some modules for that, too. There are ways to actually handle that. The first home that I ever worked on, after sending away for some feng shui tapes and listening to them that weekend, I did an open house, and I couldn't even pronounce the word feng shui correctly at that point. But it was a vacant house. They had moved from outside Charlotte to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. 
So I had a perfect laboratory at this point with nobody bothering me. (laughs) So I did what I could by bringing in a few items to try to change the balance, change the smell, because aroma is a very important aspect of things. And that also would be a very important thing to do for smaller spaces that when they walk in, they subtly can smell what is really positive to them. But uh, there's a lot of ways to take care of vacant houses, too, showing where things go to some degree. But I bring in paintings into vacant houses to try to create a better balance and try to give them a better idea of what's what there. Makes a lot of sense. I want to come back to this technique that you had mentioned a moment ago, which is one of the things you do is always try to slow down the energy at the front entrance. And as you can imagine, in San Francisco condo homes, uh, we generally don't have large uh, foyers or, or entries or mud rooms. Sometimes it's just the door open and boom, there's the kitchen and dining. What does slowing down energy at the front entrance look like? Okay. There are a couple of cures that I would use in a situation like that. You're right. I run into apartments like that, too. I can't do much in the hallways. In some cases, they won't let me do anything in the hallways because of the rules. So what you want to do is I like using a circular throw rug inside the doorway. The uh, circular rug sort of collects the chi or the energy coming in the front door sort of revolves it a little bit and slows it down, spins it off a little bit slower and more of an even distribution. That's one of the things. So I'm always trying to get a pause at the front door. Too many people walk in. Now, if you think about Florida, for example, we have a lot of homes here. When you walk in the front door, you can see right out the back and you can see a pool or you can see the ocean or whatever. And to me, that's bad because the energy is going to rush right through the house to the back. And so is the buyer coming in the front door. They're going to look in, and they're going to want to go right to the back too, and they're going to miss everything else that could really help with their decision. So I need to get a pause at the front, and the pause I use is a rug with some color, a circular rug. But another thing which might be a little bit further out there is I use a faceted crystal quite often where I would hang it in the chandelier. If there's a chandelier there, it can be wrapped around. It doesn't have to even be noticed. And uh, the idea, you know, when light hits a crystal, what happens? You know, it sort of spills all this beautiful multicolored light all over the place. So those are two of the things that are cures for a small foyer. But I'd also put a mirror in the uh, foyer area too, because uh, it represents particular element that I want to bring into that part of the house. It's water. Also, again, could possibly redirect some natural light when they come in and make it more comfortable and more cozy. I have to tell you that as I was running through the lists of possible answers you might give me for what this looked like, circular rug, nowhere near the top of my list. Not, In fact, not even in my list, which is why you're the professional here and I'm asking the questions. <laughs> when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense and it's really interesting. So I've got one more kind of uh, question for you here, which is in San Francisco, we have houses that are for us old is about 1850. 
to modern. So we have like the Victorian floor plan, which is hallway, lots of small rooms. And at the opposite end, we have the open plan layout, which is no walls between kitchen, living and dining. Would feng shui say one of those is inherently better or they just each have their own energy challenges? Yeah, they each have a challenge. In a situation like that, again, if you have a straight hallway that goes back to the more living area, you might say, where people uh, congregate, socialize, the energy again could move a little too fast. So if it's a really narrow hallway, Matt, what I would do since I probably can't use furniture for the meandering pattern that I use, the obstacles, I probably would put some paintings and mirrors along the wall to create the pauses and create the interest. So the idea is if you're doing it to a person, if the person's reacting that way, then the energy is going to react the same way. They're going to pause and take their time before they get to the back. So these little rooms that you're talking about along there, they, in some cases, might not be getting sufficient energy anyway. So you want to make sure that those doors are not always closed. You want to be able to manipulate and bounce energy into those rooms also. So again, using mirrors and pictures along the hallway will create a pause, give a reflection, and therefore bounce it into these side rooms a little bit. But again, I don't want all the energy just going right to the back. And that really helps an awful lot in a small narrow hallway. Now, a lot of hallways that I work with are not narrow. So if they're not narrow, I can use like half tables, if you know what I'm talking about, and uh, those kind of things along the way. So if it's grand and wide, I might be using (laughs) multiple staggered half tables or something like that to create the bounce, to create an obstacle where it has to hit and go around, hit and go around. And that way I slow it down. I create the pauses. So hope that answered the question for you. It does. And I know I said uh, that was about my last question, but I have this question that I can't not ask at this point. And then I have a suggestion for you, if I may. The suggestion is, have you ever worked with condo developers on big condo buildings? Because it seems like you and hallways might be magic to work together because in larger condo buildings, developers always struggle with how do you make a really long hallway not feel like a really long hallway? And you're trying to maximize the amount of space on that floor that you can sell versus have as a hallway. So I think that you would be awesome there. But my question for you is, talk to me about color. What role does color play in all this? Yeah, color is huge. That was one of the reasons why I really got into it. I was a certified home stager before that just because I knew it helped me sell my listings. I would do anything to sell my listings fast. And uh, so... I knew color was pivotal. I knew color would turn people off. And so color is real important with respect to how you show a house, how you make it comfortable. Certain rooms in a house, in an apartment, whatever, are what you would consider to be more yin. The adjectives that I would use there are like sleepy, quiet, cooler, that kind of thing. And those are like the bedrooms and the bathrooms and possibly in some cases, maybe a library where you get away to read or maybe meditate. All the other rooms are really social rooms. They're for conversation. So all of those things like dining rooms, kitchens and living rooms, you want to go more yawn or yang, however you want to say the word. And uh, the colors that are yawn are more like the yellows, the reds and the oranges, something bright and 
sort of very active and not restful. So you want to go with those colors more so. I mean, you don't want to go crazy. And so one of the things when I first got into this, and I'm talking to people about painting a room or two to make sure that it really looks right, was that I wanted to do it subtly. Again, my background is in mathematics, so I always would talk to them about a 60-40 split, basically, in a yang room, and the same in a yin room. And what I mean by that is that yin room would be 60% more of the beiges, the blues, the greens, the browns, and then 40% of the rest of the room, maybe with accessories, would be a little bit more of a yang color. I don't want it to be totally one or the other. I'm so fond of saying this. You never go with extremes. And if you've ever looked at the Tai Chi symbol, they've got equal splits, black and white on it, even though there's a curvy line in there. You're always trying to sort of balance it. You don't want to go to extremes. But in the yin rooms, you want to make it a little bit more yin. And in the yang rooms, you definitely want to make it more yang. And uh, that really helps an awful lot. So the colors, again, are real pivotal. But those colors also bring in an element. So again, I'm back to the balance too. So I'm always trying to balance and create harmony. If I may bring one more thing up to you, and I think this might be very helpful to your listeners too, Matt. There's something called poison arrows in feng shui, and uh, those are sharp edges. And so you're going to really feel the effect of those in a smaller space even more so. So you try to take those away and soften them as much as possible. It is a big problem in all schools of feng shui. And so if you remember, you probably have seen builders now that are taking the corners and shaving them off some now. Yes. And uh, so you're trying to get it more of a softer feel to it. There's a lot of information that backs it up that sharp edges pointed at people can create less comfort in an environment. So that's another thing that you probably should uh, pay close attention to. That's awesome. Those are some great suggestions that I never would have thought of necessarily. But when you say them, they kind of sound like common sense. And I think what my takeaway here is for three easiest things someone might be able to do to make a small space feel better or bigger is clutter, natural light, and nature, and make sure they're uh, slowing down the energy at the front door. And if you can do those things, you've probably done a lot. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Take care of those things. Always think about the five senses, what makes you comfortable, and you'll be way ahead of the game if you take care of those things. Small spaces is a, not only a national thing, but it's also international thing. So I've done a lot of studies about it myself and find it very, very interesting. But take care of those things, Matt, and you'll be way ahead of things. Or they're just, for all of our listeners, do it now and enjoy it before you sell, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I try to tell people when they're going to sell that they need to take care of four things right away. I call them the four big D's. And uh, those are decluttering. I had to make that one up. Decluttering. <laughs> Detailing, which is trying to fix everything. Make sure it works. In feng shui, if it doesn't work, it's bad. It's bad feng shui. But a deep cleaning is also pivotal. A deep cleaning, which a lot of people don't do when they sell. They don't uh, clean behind the refrigerator, for example. But when they do stuff like this, it just makes the feeling so much better. And then the last one is depersonalizing. And that might seem like a surprise to you, but you're always trying to reduce the energy of the previous owner. 
in, in real estate, we all are trying to do that. We take away photos, for example. So we try to depersonalize it as much as possible. So when they walk in, they say, yeah, I can see myself living here. Yeah. And that can be a real challenge for sellers to mentally get comfortable with because in our society and up to this point, a home is a showcase for a seller, right? Like this is where you invite people over to showcase those photos of your family and whatever it is that might be important to you. And all of a sudden, a realtor comes along and says, guess what? For me to get the most money for your asset here, I need you to make it not look like you anymore, even though that's what you love about it, right? And it makes sense mentally, but it can be, as I'm sure you know, it, it's really hard for sellers. It is. It is very hard. But again, I try to reason with them that you don't want to make your bed for the next several months. <laughs> And you don't want to have to get out of the house within 15 minutes every once in a while because somebody has just driven by and seen the sign. So you want to try to cut the stress, cut the frustration. So you got to play the game correctly. And one of them is depersonalizing to some degree. You don't want to have all these photos around or all these knickknacks that really only are something that maybe you would love. <laughs> Absolutely. Makes total sense. Before we wrap it up here, is there anything else that I've not asked you that you really wanted to share with our listeners or just anything you wanted to share in general? The only thing I probably would say, Matt, is that I would hope that anybody would look into feng shui. It creates such a better feeling to a place. And more and more, we're closeted up right now, even more so with the pandemic and stuff like that. You really need to make your place a place that you want to come home to. And sadly, there are people out there right now, even without the pandemic, don't want to go home <laughs> to their place and they'll spend their free time somewhere else. So you want to make your home such a great place, such a lovely sanctuary for yourself. And then it'll be something that restores you for the next day better and better all the time. That's uh, awesome. Beautiful thought there. Beautiful advice. If uh, our listeners want to follow up and learn more about you, what is the best way for them to find you? Social media, the internet, where you at? Oh, I'm everywhere. But my website is www.intrinsicschooloffengshui.com. And uh, I've got several websites, but that is the one that you should go to. And you can meet my lovely partner there, too. Lisa Alban. And uh, that's the best place to probably start. Just go to Intrinsic School of Feng Shui. Awesome. And we will also include that in our show notes with a link. So you don't have to be writing that down while you're listening to this podcast in the car or the shower or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. I want to thank you so much for your time today, Steve. I always think my podcasts are going to be like 15 or 20 minutes. And then my guests always have such incredible, amazing insights and information to share that it ends up longer than that. So thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And I enjoyed it, Matt, very much. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to Escrow Out Loud, the SF real estate podcast from Jackson Fuller Real Estate. Experts on San Francisco real estate since 2002. Podcast notes with links available at jacksonfuller.com slash podcast. 